are going to be in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew. If you have not been here, yes, we go into the book of Matthew for the last two and a half years. And so we're going to be jumping back in there today, Matthew 13. Um, If you have your Bibles, Bible app, you can open up Matthew 13. So here's the deal. If, If you're not a church person, you don't know much about the Bible, there are these four Uh, accounts of Jesus' life, and they're called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by different people, different places, and uh, they all have stories of Jesus' life, death, uh, ministry, and especially his uh, resurrection. And so we are looking at one of those accounts, and it talks about kind of uh, not only Jesus' life, but what he taught people. And one of the things that he taught people are these things called parables. And parables are really short stories that Jesus made up in order to make a point. Usually it's a theological point, here's what God is like, or here's how you should live, or um, um, here's something that you should know about life or about about heaven or hell, or he he talked about a ton of different um, topics. And so these parables um, are an illustration of something that people, at least in those days, would have a good understanding of. And then he would say, okay, well, this subject is kind of like this. And he would apply it. You'll see what I'm talking about. So Matthew 13, we'll jump in there. And the first thing um, that you're going to need to know, I'm going to give you a ton of background information about this first sentence. Okay. Um, Let's start in verse three. It says this, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So background information is you have got like a whole Bible story that's been unfolding for a couple thousand years before this, that you are now jumping into the conversation and you're jumping in the middle of it. So what he's talking about here is he's giving this analogy. And the, the main part of the analogy is going to be the seed that he's going to talk about. And the seed is um, the gospel message that Jesus has come and then he's going to die and then he's going to resurrect. But there's also the second part. So the gospel is a two-part message. And you've probably heard the one part where Jesus dies and uh, he resurrects. And if we accept him as our savior, we get to go to heaven. You've probably heard that part, whether you go to church or not. The second part though um, is actually what Christmas is about, which everything in between is about in the gospels. So if Jesus just came to die on the cross, and I say just as as if that's not enough, but it is, um, if he just came to die on the cross, why didn't he just show up on Monday, tell people, here's what I'm here to do, die on Tuesday, call it a week, wrap it up, resurrect, be done with this whole mess. Why did he go around telling people these things about about heaven and hell and, and God and Because he was doing something in addition to dying on the cross. And that was that he was inaugurating, big word, inaugurating the kingdom of God to the earth. Too late for the the rock stars, but welcome to the front row. Anyway, that's fine. Um, Anyway, so the parable about the seed is that this seed is going to be the message that the kingdom of God is here. Now, Most of us, unless we've been in church for a long time, we have no idea what the kingdom of God even means. And so the kingdom of God is something that the the audience that Jesus was speaking to would have been very familiar with, but let me give you a rundown. So there's really two kingdoms here on earth, and they're in conflict. You have the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. This is what's described in the scriptures. And so the kingdom of the world is the kingdom in which all of us are born into. It is the one that it feels most natural to us. In fact, it is the default position. We are citizens in the kingdom of the world unless we choose to live in the kingdom of God. And the way that we do that is through submitting our life to him and through following Jesus. But the kingdom of the world is all about um, the pleasure of now. It is having and wanting everything in this moment. And so if you're gonna have values of the kingdom, the values would be something like being rich 
or powerful or famous or uh, pursuing all kinds of pleasure, and we would avoid any kind of weakness and sacrifice and experiencing grief or pain or exclusion. And so if you look at popular culture, this is the message that comes across. And all of the movies and all the music, the TV shows, everything that we watch, the overarching um, values of those things is always going to be pleasure, fame, power, wealth. And um, if you look at the, the media, this is what they're pumping out to us. This is how they sell us stuff, by the way, is this is the season of consumerism and they sell you their product by promising you one of these things. It's going to make you happy. It's going to make you feel in a certain way if you can acquire these things. And how can you acquire these things? You have to have money. See, those are the values of the kingdom of the world. And so anyone who has uh, not submitted their life to Christ lives in the kingdom of the world. Even those who believe in God and say that they're religious or whatever, they all live according to the values and principles of the kingdom of the world. But the kingdom of God is the complete opposite. The kingdom of God is taking all of the things of the kingdom of the world and turning them upside down. It's people who say, you know what, I don't want to live for myself, I want to live for God. I, it's not about me being first, it's about me being last. It's not about me being powerful, but it's about me being weak. It's not me being in charge, but me submitting into God's will. It's all the principles of the world turned upside down on its head. And here's what Jesus says, and this is kind of the big picture. He arrives on the scene and says, guess what? This kingdom of God in which God's will on earth is done, in which you make him your ultimate authority, your ruler, it has arrived. You can live in that kingdom here and now. All you have to do is hand your life over to Christ. Now, there's this kind of phrase that's used in, in theology, and it says that like, the kingdom is here, but not yet. And what it means by this is the kingdom is here, is that Jesus has arrived, he is the king, and he says, you can live as a citizen in my kingdom. And if you do, you're gonna be given certain abilities and powers. And these are gonna be to glorify God and to bring hope and healing into the world, if you're a citizen of the kingdom of God. And yet the kingdom isn't fully here yet because Jesus is gonna come back and he's gonna bring all of creation back under his authority and he's going to heal everything that has been broken. But he says, as citizens in the kingdom, you get to help bring the kingdom of God to the world by being a light, by being, by being the people who bring hope and healing and restoration into the world. And so we really live in this in-between time in which we get to decide which kingdom will we live in? Which one will we be citizens? Will we be kingdom of God citizens or kingdom of the world citizens? And really that's kind of the point of our life is which citizenship are you going to uh, pledge allegiance to? Are you going to be a part of the kingdom of God or are you going to be part of the kingdom of the world? And Jesus lives his life and he says, okay, all the things that I'm doing is here to introduce you to the kingdom, to show you what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God here and now. And then I'm also going to die on the cross so that you can have entrance into the kingdom. So Jesus' whole message, his purpose was all focused on the kingdom of God, bringing everything back under his rulership. Now, Here's where this parable uh, kind of intersects with this whole kingdom of God stuff is the delivery message of the two kingdoms. How do we hear the message that the kingdom of God is here or, we, or the kingdom of the world is here? Two kingdoms have very differing ways, and of course that makes sense because they're totally different kingdoms, of, um, of, of winning people over. So the kingdom of, uh, kingdom of the world kingdom of the world, I think, comes into our life, and again, I said it's pretty natural, and the way that it, reason why it's pretty natural is it's our natural bent, but it also is the most dominant voice that we hear every single day when we get up, that the message of the kingdom of the world drops into our life and kind of 
I guess it would be analogous to a boulder, okay? It's a boulder that just comes smashing into our life every single day. We can't avoid it. We are constantly forced to hear about the values and the message of the kingdom of the world every single day. And oftentimes we don't even notice that we're hearing it anymore. And sometimes it's through coercion or it's through force, but every single day we have to face the message of the kingdom of the world. And it comes in one-liners and sound bites and emotionalism and popular opinion and by making your voice the loudest. And, and here's what I hear, and if you've ever watched the news before, and most of us don't watch the news, but if you've ever watched the news before, um, or even just a Facebook video, uh, you'll see that there are people who are trying to persuade or force other people into their worldview, into their viewpoint, and usually it's through coercion. It's like something like this. Um, if you don't agree with me, it's because you are a bigot, a sexist, you're regressive, uneducated, you're intolerant, you're on the wrong side of history. See, those are the values of the kingdom of the world, and then they're being forced upon everyone else. And if you do not believe in the values of the kingdom of the world, then you are going to be, um, you're going to be made fun of, you're going to be looked down upon, and eventually you're going to have to submit to what we're trying to sell you. You're going to have to buy it. Oftentimes we don't even realize that we have taken all the values of the kingdom of the world and they have penetrated our souls into we believe and that's what we think. So here's my example. Kingdom of the world values. The first thing that pops into your mind when I say that someone is successful is what? Money, right? First thing that you think of is the definition of success is someone who has made lots of money, material wealth. Now, you didn't even have to think about, you didn't have to think about the definition of success. There was something in your mind that you knew those values. You knew what we valued as a society. What do we value as a society? Material wealth. And so immediately when I say success, you say money. That's a value that the kingdom of the world has adopted. But that's not a value in the kingdom of God. Why isn't it that when we hear the word success, we, we all of a sudden think of Someone who loves God, someone who serves God, someone who loves their family, who loves their spouse, who is faithful. Why is that not the definition of success that comes into our mind immediately? Because we have been so inundated with the kingdom of the world's values, and it's so natural to us that we don't even realize that we have adopted those values. And so when we become Christians, we become Christ followers, we now have to turn all of our values and all of the things that we thought we knew about ourselves in the world, it starts to get turned upside down. And all of a sudden, instead of being powerful, we decide that we must be weak. Instead of being free, we must submit our lives. Instead of finding ourselves, we must lose ourselves for the sake of Christ. Everything is turned upside down when we give our life over. And so the analogy goes that the kingdom of God this message that the kingdom has arrived comes into our life, and instead of it coming in like a boulder, like the message of the kingdom of the world that just smashes into our, our life and, and it takes everything out with it, it comes into our lives like a seed. This small, unassuming, gentle message. Now, don't get me wrong, that the message of the gospel is extremely powerful, but it's not something that crashes into your life. It's something that kind of slowly takes root. And the power can be seen not in the moment when it comes into your life oftentimes, but it's the thing that happens over time. Like I see, okay, so here's one of my favorite stories. It's not a good story, but it helps me remember this. Uh, there was a man, I can't remember what book I read this in, but there was a, a story of a guy who, um, he believed in God, but he was not 
interested in having a relationship with God. This was a couple hundred years ago. And so he was just, every single day, he got up and he was afraid that God was going to strike him down. He wanted nothing to do with God. He didn't want a relationship with God. And so when he was coming to the end of his life, he is a wealthy man. He said, listen, I don't want to be in a relationship with God. And so he had a superstitious belief. He thought, um, if I create a grave that is big enough and I have a, uh, a top on it, like a slab of granite that is so heavy, my body will stay in there and God cannot resurrect me. He cannot have anything to do with me. I'll be dead and I'll stay in the ground. Look, not, not a smart belief, but this was his belief. And so he thought that by putting this giant slab of rock over the top of his grave that he would be safe from God and that he wouldn't resurrect and that he would be okay. Well, as they're building this giant tomb, this little acorn seed falls from the tree that is, above the, uh, that is above his tomb, falls in there, they cover it up. It begins to take root, grows, and eventually grows so big that it cracks the entire slab that had been on top of his grave and a tree grows out of it. Now, here's the analogy or the, 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 that goes along with the story. Is although this big granite slab is, is, is monstrous and it's heavy and it's intimidating, this little seed, this little nothing, eventually took root and it was able to dominate and transform something that was so much bigger and so much more powerful. In fact, we see this with seeds all the time as they can sprout an entire forest, change the landscape of an entire place. Why? Because although it's gentle and it's small and it's unassuming, it's something that is extremely powerful. And so Jesus comes along and he says, I'm gonna give you this message that's gonna change the entire world and yet, it is not going to be something that is pushed upon you. You're not going to be coerced. You're not going to be um, beaten if you don't believe this. In fact, I'm going to give you every opportunity to deny this message. But if this was me and I was delivering the most important message of all time, I probably would be a little bit more forceful about it. You know, I'd be like, listen, you have, your whole eternity is um, on the line right here. You need to do this. Listen up. I would probably be a little bit more forceful, but Jesus isn't. And I think he has good reasons. Here's why. It's because Jesus wants you to want it. Jesus wants you to want it. See, Jesus definitely wants you to be a part of the kingdom, so much so that he's willing to step out of heaven and come and die for us. But I think that we confuse Jesus wanting and Jesus needing us. Jesus wants you to be in a relationship with him. Jesus does not need you to be in a relationship with him. Don't confuse the two. We think that Jesus um, is just sitting up in heaven and he's going, God, I just wish Cody would, he just, why doesn't he like me? No, he's not a 13-year-old girl. He's not, he's not concerned about that. He's pretty secure in who he is. He wants you to want him. And so if I imagine this as um, you guys saw before service, my little girl, Sienna, running around, and she's the cutest little thing in the whole wide world. And, and um, let's say that one day she's thinking about getting married, around 30, 35 years old. And uh, some of you guys are on that plan as well. Um, anyway, <clears throat> ooh, shots fired. So that, let's say that around that age she falls in love, and this guy comes to me, and he says, you know, I... I want to marry your daughter and I want to get your permission and that will just be a fun day for everybody. And so as I sit down and I talk to him about this, I say, you know, what's your intentions with her? What's the deal? You, you say that you're, you're committed to her, that you might want to marry her. Why? Tell me about that. And if his response was, well, you know, I think she's awesome and, and she's really fun to hang out with and 
you know, I really don't have any other options. She's the best option that I've got right now. I would say you have 30 seconds to run because my daughter is not someone that you settle for. It's not someone that you hang out with and maybe date until someone better comes along. She is a prize, and so she will be treated as such. By, by the way, ladies, yeah, hey-yo, okay. Hey-yo, this just turned into a dating series. Okay, here we go. Um, no, is she is worth so much to me, and so she better be worth the same amount to whoever she is going to marry one day. And if she was not, he is undeserving of her. Now, this is also true of, amen, this is also true <laughs> of our relationship with Jesus. Is Jesus is really secure in who he is. He does not need you. Yes, he wants you. He desperately wants you to be in a relationship, but he's not gonna settle and go, you know, all right, I'll be your backup plan. All right, if you've come to the end of the rope and you'll just settle for me until maybe something better comes along, I'll, yeah, I guess I'll be your side guy. <laughs> no. He's going, look, I know what I have to offer. I know who I am. I am God. I have died on a cross. I offer you salvation, eternal life. I'm not going to be your side guy. I'm not going to be second best. I will either be your first priority in life or nothing at all. I'm not interested in being your second or third option. Second reason is because Jesus wants you um, to be with him, but, or excuse me, he wants you to want him more than anything else. And this goes along with what I just said is he knows what he's worth. And he knows that he should be the ultimate priority in your life that he is so infinitely valuable that, he, that nothing, so that, that nothing will be um, second, or, or for second, he will be nothing. He will, second, anyway, okay. Where was I? Jesus is smart. Okay, here we go. Jesus is smart. Uh, I think, though, one of the reasons why Jesus doesn't force himself upon us is because, um, is because he knows something about ourselves that we don't even know, is he knows that if we are to accept this message and we are to embrace it and we are, allowed, and we are to put it into our hearts and let it take root, that it will transform us from the inside out. See, he doesn't need to force it because he knows how good that message is, that when we actually accept it, when we realize who he is, that it's going to transform us from the inside out, which is actually the exact opposite of what the kingdom of the world's message does to us. It comes into our life like a boulder, smashes everything, and you know what happens? It kills everything in its path eventually. See, the kingdom of the world is the message of death that comes smashing into your life, but the kingdom of God is a message of life that comes in graciously. See, it's this unassuming seed, this message that isn't forced upon any of us that eventually becomes powerful, so powerful that it can transform everything around it, unlike the boulder of the kingdom of the world that comes in and destroys. And so the last thing that you need to know before we jump into this next part is the farmer. So we have the seed, and we understand what the seed is now, okay? The seed is the gospel message, the kingdom of God, but then we also have the farmer. And the farmer is two, I think it can be two people. One, it can be Jesus, 
It can be him coming in and giving this gospel message, which totally makes sense in this parable. But also for those of us who call ourselves Jesus followers, it is supposed to be us. It's supposed to be people who go out and we give the message freely to whoever will listen. As we tell them the kingdom of God is here, you got to do something about it. And so all of us get to be uh, these people who um, I guess will be farmers in here. Okay, here's what it says. Verse four. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. So he's about to give us a few different types of soil. So follow the analogy. We have seeds, that's a gospel message. We have farmer, Jesus, he's giving the gospel message. Then we have, then we have the soil, which is gonna represent man's heart. And so this represents different kinds of responses to the gospel message. So the first one is, um, is the hard heart. And this person is the person that just flat out rejects Christ. And, and maybe you have someone in your life that's like this. You can think of him. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's a relative, a friend of yours in which you bring up Jesus and they are just, they shut that conversation down or even they begin to mock you. How can you believe that? Those fairy tales. I'm sure you believe in Santa Claus as well, right? They just are, a, they are hard there. There's no way to penetrate their heart with the gospel message. One of my favorite things to do um, for the last, I don't know, six, seven years is study philosophy and theology that relates to science and religion and listen to debates from uh, famous atheists and Christians and they go back and forth. And here's one of the things that I've realized about atheists, not all atheists, just these ones in these debates, that there is literally nothing that you could tell them to convince them that God exists. They may give you lip service, well, if you know you gave me enough evidence, but as the debates proceed, you quickly realize that you could tell them nothing, that they are more likely to deny the existence of an external reality than to admit that there is a God. I've heard atheists say crazy, and I'm not bashing if you're an atheist, I'm just talking about these people in the debates. I have heard them say crazy things, such as, um, if you were to take one argument and it's that if God doesn't exist, there is no such thing as right or wrong. There is no objective morality is what they call it. And they will admit this oftentimes. And then they have to go to some crazy conclusions like torturing and raping children for fun is not morally wrong. I just don't like it. And you hear them say things like this and you go, whoa, like I'm, I am as sure that that is wrong as I am that the external world, the reality exists, and yet you're unwilling to admit that because it would force you to admit that God exists. And it's because they have such a hard heart that there is no way to penetrate it, even if it ends in absurdity. But there's also another person. It's not just uh, these atheist debates I don't want to pick on. It's also those of us who call ourselves Christians, but it hasn't really taken root in our life. You can call them theoretical Christians, nominal Christians, but this is the person that comes to church and they sit in these seats, they listen to the messages, maybe they're raised in a Christian home, or, but it's just going through the motions. It's just being a part of the crowd. It's just being a part of the community. That when they hear the gospel message, they could preach this message better than I could because they know it like the back of their hand. And yet, when they think about Jesus and they think about the gospel, it's just another story to them. Nothing has actually taken root in their life. Nothing compels them. Nothing moves them closer to Jesus. And I think that this is one of the places, at least for myself, is that I get um, the most fearful about is, am I the person who just claims to know Jesus, likes going through the motions, understands the story, and yet it hasn't actually taken root in my life? Because the problem is that there will come a time in which the faith that I thought that I had will be snatched away, whether it's through fear or doubt or pride or deception or apathy or whatever it may be, that faith that I played along with for so long is eventually gone. 
Second one is this. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. So um, this is... I think probably the person that I see the most often, at least for young adults, okay? I think that young adults are, are a little bit more prone to this. And here's what this looks like, is they come in and they have some kind of experience. Maybe it's during the music, maybe it's during the message, maybe it's just being around all these people who seem to be positive and have this outlook in life. And they get on what I call a spiritual high. They get all amped up like, I love Jesus, this is freaking awesome, right? And I'm gonna volunteer for everything. I'm just gonna, and they're just going. They just, they go from zero to 60 real quick, okay? They just go so hard all of a sudden. And it's kind of exciting because you go, wow, look at the life transformation that's happening to them all of a sudden. I mean, they went from being someone who was so far from God to someone who's just on fire for God. Now, here's the problem. I have been around long enough to realize that this person probably will not last. This person will, okay, let me, let me give it more in your, uh, your world. Have you ever seen people who fall in love like super quickly? Like they go on one date and they're like, this is the one, right? Like, oh, I'm so getting married. Your first response is like, bah! like bump the brakes, dude. You know, cause like next month, bah, you'll probably hate them. You know, they just, they just go from like, you know, you know that kind of, this, this is the same thing. I love Jesus, this is so awesome. But then something happens, fast forward a little bit, six months, a year, whatever, go down the line. And I will see that they're not here anymore. I'll go, hey, where's such and such? They were volunteering everywhere. They were super on fire. They were doing the rooted groups. They were doing what happened to them? Where did they go? And I go, oh, I bet you I know what it is. They got a boyfriend and a girlfriend, didn't they? Yeah, they did. They got a boyfriend and a girlfriend. And now they don't show up anymore. And here's why they don't show up anymore. is because there has been something that came into conflict with the spiritual high that they had, and it's called sex. And so they said, well, I either can keep going to church and then I can't have sex, or I can have sex and I'll stop going to church. And so they choose to continue to have sex because um, they know that it's in conflict, and so they just, they're out. Peace. I see this all the time. In fact, some of you guys will probably do it. It's harsh. So you're looking around going, is it you? Is it you? Yeah, that's right. And it's because their faith was shallow. Is they were just trying out Christianity. They were kind of dating it. They hadn't fully committed yet. Yes, they were infatuated and they had this very quick relationship with Jesus and they were excited, but that wore off just as quickly as it came upon them is when something came into conflict and they were gonna to have to make a big decision. Do I pursue my pleasures or do I pursue Jesus? They go, Jesus, that was fun, but I'm out. And because what they really wanted was they didn't want a savior, they wanted a sugar daddy. <laughs> what? They, didn't want, they didn't want someone who's gonna forgive them of their sins, they wanted someone who's gonna give them a better life. And when they thought the better life came along, and it conflicted with who they thought was going to give it to them. They said, peace, I'm out. I'm going to pursue this now. Third is this. Verse 7. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. So uh, the third type of soil is the one that has all the weeds. And this one is pretty interesting to me because throughout my life, I have experienced this. Um, and I've gone back and forth. And it's kind of, I think of this person as someone who is torn between God and their vices. 
in which they know that God exists, they know that Jesus is true, they have made a commitment, and yet there is also this other side of their life in which they want to pursue certain things. You can fill in the blank of whatever the thing is. Maybe it's sex, maybe it's money, maybe it's whatever. It's a, a party lifestyle, whatever it is. They have these two things and they're in direct conflict with one another. I love Jesus, I know it's true, and yet I really wanna pursue these other things in my life. And so here's what happens. The scripture says that a house cannot stand that is divided. And I think that this applies perfectly. And it also says that you cannot serve both God and money or God and sex or God and whatever. You can only serve God. There is no God and. And so these people are the most miserable people out of the bunch. Because the hard-hearted person is arrogant. They don't care. They're not interested. They don't feel guilty because they don't believe it. The person who is shallow, they're pursuing whatever they think the next best thing is going to be, the next high in their life. And so they're out and they're having a great time. This person, however, is in in internal conflict because they're going, I want Jesus. I know I should be doing this, but I'm not. I'm pursuing these things. And so I feel miserable all the time. This is a world that I've lived in um, probably most of my teenage years and some of my early uh, 20s is I wanted to pursue certain things in my life, whether it was money or women or whatever it was. And yet I also knew the truth of the gospel. And so I would sit there every single day and I couldn't enjoy the sin because I knew it was wrong, but I couldn't enjoy God because I knew I was messing up. And so I just lived in this place of incredible tension that was miserable. And then there's the third or the fourth one, which is uh, in verse eight, still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so this is obviously pretty self-explanatory. This is the person that hears the gospel message, that puts it in their heart, that internalizes it and begins to pursue it, lets it uh, take root and take over their entire being and becomes a Christ follower uh, for the rest of their life. Now, we all want to be the last one, or at least we should at least be open to the idea of being the last one. And so he, let me give you a couple takeaways really fast. Is this. Um, ask yourself this question. If I were to take an honest look at my life, what soil am I? Or let, let's ask in a better way. What, what would Jesus say the soil of your heart is? Let's be a little bit more objective. If he were to look at your life, what would he consider it? So if you are a person who is hard-hearted, it's okay. You can admit that. You can say, I'm not at all open to Jesus or the gospel. I don't believe it. I think it's fairy tales. It's a bunch of crap. At least admit that that is the soil that you are. It's not true, so you don't care, but just admit it at least. Now, if that is you, I want to challenge you to something. Is I want to challenge you to do a couple things. One, ask yourself to at least be open to the possibility at least be, be open-minded. This is what people claim to be. I am tolerant and I am open-minded, except when you tell me something I don't like, and then I am not. <laughs> Try and be open to it. Just at least the possibility that it might be true. You owe it to yourself to at least find out why this man, Jesus, has turned the world upside down. Maybe you're the shallow person. You're on a spiritual high. You are going from zero to 60. You are just amped on Jesus. Ask yourself a couple things. One, Am I willing to give up everything and anything to follow him? If God asked me to give up the thing that I want most in this life, am I willing to say yes? Make that decision before it has to happen. And have you grown your faith big enough to be able to make it through those tough choices? Have you researched it? 
Have you learned spiritual disciplines? Have you prayed? Have you gotten into community? Have you figured out, okay, I need to be like a soldier preparing for war because when that does come, I don't want to wither away. I want to be able to withstand. Third is the heart that is divided. Is This is the one that you're probably right now, you know exactly who you are. You know exactly what it feels like. I know exactly what it feels like. You know what the truth is. And so I think you have to finally get off the fence. My dad used to tell me that all the time because he knew he could see it in my eyes. What's you, you know, you're struggling. What you, he is. Eventually, you just got to get off the fence, man. Got to stop trying to straddle these two worlds. It's painful straddling those two worlds. Just think about that for a moment, that imagery. Woo! Okay. Here's the good news. Is that, uh, some of you guys saw that little thrust that I had there. You're welcome. Um, where was I? Yeah, okay, good news. Here's the good news. All of us who are doing our best to follow Jesus have been in each one of these places before. And yet God can redeem us wherever we are at. But here's what you do need to know, is the way that a soil becomes better is not by um, willpower. I have yet to see a soil decide it's going to be really good and accept seeds, and so it wakes up in the morning and goes, I am ready for the seeds, right? <laughs> I've never seen that. I would, it would be awesome. That would save me a lot of time and money, but it has never happened before. In fact, okay, here's my real quick uh, side note. Amy and I bought a house uh, nine years ago, and when we bought this house, there was a lady who um, sold it to us, and her name was Crazy Karen. She didn't call herself that, but that was how we fondly referred to her, Crazy Karen. Um, she had crazy hair. We were digging it out of the drains for years. It was disgusting. <laughs> okay, eventually we had to knock the house down. It just was everywhere. And so one of the things that she left behind was besides her frizzy hair and everything, in fact, okay, this is really gross, but I remember the first night that I spent the night there, I walked into the bathroom, which was nasty, and there, <laughs> the air was on and there was hairs going like, <laughs> like flowing in like the vent, you know, just like, oh, look, it's like a little wind thing. Okay. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah. So crazy Karen with her crazy hair, she had a dog and for some reason she didn't want to deal with anything in the backyard. And so she just would pour gravel in the backyard all the time, just gravel, gravel, gravel. And so when we bought the house, we wanted to um, have grass in the backyard like a normal person. And so we tried to, we tried to grow the grass and it just, it would not grow. It would, it would get little patches and things like that. And we're like, oh, okay. So we tried to remove some of the gravel and grow it again. And it got a little better, but wasn't better anymore. And they got a little bit. And, and eventually we just had to read, we had to have a complete overhaul. There was no redeeming this backyard. It needed to be completely removed and a new one put in. That's exactly what happens with some of us, is we keep trying to fix the old us, and we keep trying to take, okay, I'm going to take this pebble out. I'm not going to do this anymore. Okay, I'm going to be a little bit better in this area, and I'm not going to do this. And we have to realize you need a complete overhaul. Your heart needs removed and a new one put in, and you can't do that on your own. You can't change the condition of your heart. You can't put a new one in there. It is only through, the submi through submission to God that you can say, okay, I can do nothing. And that's all he asks us to do, is to admit that we can do nothing. We can't change the condition of our heart. We can't put a new heart in there. No matter how many pieces of gravel and weeds that we pull, it's not gonna get any better. We eventually just have to say, I can't do it. You're gonna have to do it for me. And so some of us, we need to, we need to talk to God tonight and we need to talk about what, we're asking him to do. 
Some of us, we have some weeds in our life and we go, God, you know what? I need you to eliminate this thing out of my life. And he may say back to you, by the way, you break up with them. He may say, you know, no, no, you need to throw the computer away. No, 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 you, you need to get some help and you need to go to recovery. We go, okay, God, I need you to give me the strength to be able to make those steps then. Some of us, we're on this, 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 this spiritual high and we need to realize, you know what, this could come crashing down pretty soon. I need to get ready for this. God, I need you to help me create some depth in my character and in my spiritual, uh, spiritual life. So help me to go deeper in my faith. Some of us, we just have to say, God, I don't even know if you exist, but I need you to talk to me if you do. And that's okay. He's secure. He's okay with that. He'll talk to you. Some of us, we just need to celebrate the fact that God has been so good to us, and we have done nothing to deserve what he has done over the last season of our life, or maybe it's our entire life. If I look back at um, myself in the last 10 years, I go, God, I did nothing to deserve any of this. You have been so good to me. And you have changed me so much. And if it were up to me, I would have been a disaster. And yet, you have graciously changed my heart and done so much. And some of us, we just gotta be thankful and continue to be open to what he's gonna do. So let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for how good you are to us. And thank you for who um, you are creating us to be. As we reflect back on the last season, maybe even the last decade of our lives, we see that you have transformed us dramatically. And we celebrate that. We don't, want to take, um, we don't want to take any pride in that, but we just want to humbly accept that incredible gift that you have transformed us and we can continue to bow down and ask that you would uh, continue to change us and become, uh, to become more like you. And so uh, some of us, <clears throat> we haven't even begun that journey. Some of us, we have real shallow faith and that's okay, it's gotta start somewhere, but we gotta go deeper than that. Some of us have some stuff in our life that we have to eliminate and we need your power and your strength to be able to do that and we gotta take some practical steps. Some of us, we're not even sure if you're there. We may just be talking to the wind and yet we need you to reveal that you are listening and that you are real and that it is true. And so, Lord God, wherever we're at in our faith journey, I just pray that you would help us to become people who will accept that gospel message, that we will hide it in our hearts and let it take root and transform us. And so, Lord God, we thank you. We love you. It's your name we pray. Amen.